Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk baseball. Welcome everyone to a Baseball America podcast. It's a weekday, so we're back to playoff podcasts daily with J.J. Cooper and John Manuel. And J.J., uh, you know, we have one series in the books. We have three series, three series still to go. And it was a thrilling game. We're going to start off with that, uh, that, with that series, talking a little Blue Jays and Rangers. But obviously, there are three games, uh, three more games uh, in play. Uh, I will, I will start by asking you one quick question on the Nats Dodgers series that we didn't talk about in the pregame. But I'm curious what your take is on the rain situation there, where they postponed the game a day, take up taking up their travel day, and yet. It didn't really rain that much in Washington. It seemed like it was more of a the forecast, which you're into. You love the forecast. And when they bumped the game, they wound up bumping it into, so the Nats went head-to-head with a Baltimore-Washington football game. I won't say the last name of either team, really, but uh, I know you don't like the Baltimore Football Club. But they bumped for, for D.C. fans, that was like the worst-case scenario, mm-hmm. having a game, delaying it, postponing it when the weather would have allowed it to be played. It seems like it was a really weird way to handle that, and it might affect this series with both teams going cross-country now um, oh, and, with no travel day. And it affects it I mean, it affects it significantly for the Dodgers because the Dodgers essentially said this takes the possibility of Clayton Kershaw coming back on short rest out of the – it took it out of the – because not right. because of Clayton Kershaw because he'd already pitched, but because – they would have only pitched Kershaw on short rest if they had Rich Hill then to come back on short rest. Exactly. And instead, you know, now, which that leads into my overarching theme of what I see in playoff baseball. Instead, what they're going to do is is the Julio Urias, who's been very good, but yeah. Julio Urias is going to go out there in game four, and you assume that is going to be... If you go give the me the twice. Good, give me the best 20 batters you can face. And that's you know, and if that gives us four innings, that's four. If that's five, that's five. Yeah. And we're not even gonna think about the possibility. We would love to get fifteen outs, but if you give us thirteen outs and a lead, that's fine too. But and and I guess I'll ask you because do, is this bad for baseball? I mean, like in the in the overarching scheme, is this is what baseball is right now? I mean, we really do see right now. This is you have aces who. They give you, you know, if, if you're Blanison Bumgarner, they give you 27 outs. Or if you're Corey Kluber or if you're, you know, guys like that, Clayton Kershaw, you can hope to get 18 to 21 to 24. But for everyone else, it really is, it does feel like it's a case of 15 outs. Maybe 18 is like, wow, what a great outing we got out of it. And then turn it over to the pens. And let's be honest, in most of these cases, I do think that, if the pens were, if some of these pens were just slightly deeper, they really would almost be better off saying, you know, if if you've got, if you're the Rangers last night, saying, okay, we're, you know, we're really counting on nine. Can we get nine out of you? It is weird how playoff baseball has kind of turned into a, uh, you know, a celebrity Jeopardy skit category. You know, the pen is mightier, JJ, and I don't understand how we got to this point, but I mean, it really is. If you don't, there is a. I, it just seems like it's just part of the bullpen evolution of we see it at the college level so much where um, you see an ace, and if you don't have an ace, they're going to use the, the bullpen as often as possible, and those guys will go as long as possible. And we see Matt Bush in Game 3 
was outstanding. He has incredible stuff. Um, I will rem- I'll finish my story and then I'll get to the reminder. But he had incredible stuff, but he'd never thrown more than two innings in his life. But in the postseason, well, I shouldn't say in his life, probably back to Mission Bay High School in San, in mm-hmm. San Diego. But he hadn't thrown two innings as a professional since he became a full-time pitcher. And the first time you're going to extend him is so so. P, so and that was because do, Sam Dyson was sitting there right. again. We okay. This is the thing that we just keep seeing is I we've yet to have so managers really clearly handle their pitching staffs completely differently in the postseason for good and for ill. Right. Part of that when you're saying those is we've yet in this playoffs to have a game where you say that a team lost because they fired their bullpen bullets too soon. Yeah. Right, and we've had two where you could very well argue that the team lost because they wanted to save them. Right, and in games where they saved them, in games where they they saved them for next season. Yeah, I mean, that, there has to be a middle ground to me between in the regular season. We constantly talk about players are in a routine. You got to stick to their routine. Starting pitchers, relief pitchers, hitters, whatever. You know, like the Orioles' routine was, we don't steal bases. You get to the postseason, they steal a base. You know, Orioles' routine was, when the game's on the line, Zach Britton's usually in. They didn't stick to that routine. The routine for the Rangers has been Matt Bush, no more than two innings. You know, Sam Dyson was really good for us most of the year. Not all the year. Right. But those this are the two not best. Zach, for- this is not Britton coming out of that pen. Bro. Alex Claudio's really more of a left-on-left guy. Hey, we're going to throw him three and two-thirds of the game. Then we're going to come back with him again. I mean, and he, he was pretty decent. So... Nothing's according to to routine, and I don't think there's a pattern yet, except for the one that you just pointed to, is that no one's been punished yet for going to their bullpen too early, Um, and and that was obviously the Indians are the best example of that with Andrew Miller being deployed early, and then again, going back to your Aces theory, uh, Corey Kluber, they needed a deep start, and Corey Kluber gave it to the Indians in game two. And so um, now you have basically, and now after an off day, which is my other thing, is is there's so many off days here. Now with the off day that they've had, they can do, they could, they could potentially finish this off with Andrew Miller doing something very similar again. Yeah, they could. Uh, Going to be different, I think, for them in Boston. But I mean, here the Red Sox uh, team that you know struggled with its pitching for a lot of regular seasons. Certainly, their uh, the rotation was the. Uh, weaker point of their pitching staff. Their pitching staff was weaker than their offense all year, best offense in baseball. But now they've got their whole season on the line for Clay Buckholtz. This is not how I don't think any Red Sox but, fan or front office official had that mapped out. But and, how long will he really and again, he won't have a long what, leash. What, but that's what it comes back to is is right now, like during the regular season, Tanner Rourke is so much more valuable to the Nationals than Blake Trinan. Not that Blake Trinan is not useful. But during the regular season, because right. it is 162 games. I will say, did you see the great note on Roark yesterday about how much better he is on shorter rest? And with a lot of rest yesterday, he had his highest fastball velocity of the year, Two, yeah. the least control, and was walking a tightrope the whole time and couldn't finish five innings. So but, uh, we had both the command and control-oriented starting pitchers on really good teams have very short outings this weekend. Hendricks getting hit in the, in the gut and the wrist with the forearm with that line drive and then... Roark is being kind of scatter command. Mm-hmm. But you get to the playoffs, and I don't know if you can necessarily say that. Because, as, and again, as good as Trainer Roark's been, Blake Trinan may throw, you know, like, and Blake Trinan, I just picked him out because he, you know, he's, he's, really a, good yesterday. he's, a, he's really good yesterday, but he is your, he is not, he's your, 
Blake Tryon and Joe Biagini, these are, I'm not talking about, the Andrew Millers of the world are clearly in the playoffs more valuable because right. that is a relief ace. That is a, that is every bit, you, you know, in a playoff series, if your starter makes one start and he gives you 15 outs, Andrew Miller you mean may like come, Clayton Kershaw? <laughs> Andrew Miller may come close to getting you 15 outs in a playoff series, depending on how it falls. Yeah, Trinan was really good. Uh, only four, He got four outs, but he was really good in those four outs. But there were important outs to get. And the thing is, Blake Trinan was supposed to be a dude. He was supposed to be a dude more than Tanner Roark. Mm-hmm. Everyone was supposed to be a dude. So, That's so, how it Southern Illinois yesterday. minor. Pre-draft Southern Illinois minor. In, you know, that in, was Blake Trinan? Yeah, no, Tanner Roark. Oh, Tanner Roark. Uh, Tanner Roark was a... He went to Indie Ball. Wow. And then was basically... That was before the draft. Before so his college the draft, season ended early. He went to Indie Ball. Had a like a fourteen ERA with the Southern Illinois Miners, and then was drafted. So the the indie ball claims uh, Tanner Rourke. So. And of course, a uh, former Texas Ranger uh, farmhand. Are they they're the ones who drafted him? Aren't they? I'm pretty sure he was a Ranger. Yeah, it was the Rangers who drafted him. So, so what's his Southern twenty fifth round? Was so. it Southern Illinois twenty one point four one? I over, over I oversold uh, how effective he was. So in he had a three point three one WHIP in two thousand eight. Um, Illinois was uh, the Big Eight, Big Ten was not as good baseball as the Frontier League, at least for Tanner Roar, because I don't think he struggled like that at Illinois. Um, let's let's go to that to that uh, Rangers series. I mentioned the Rangers. JJ, the do you Rangers, like home runs? Yeah, if you like home runs, not as much as the the Blue Jays like home runs. But um, how about but, the Rangers' first home run of their postseason hit by Elvis Andrus, um, and of course a bomb by Rugnet Odor. JJ, you know the Rangers. How do we look back at this Rangers season? They won the American League West, but their run differential was, I think, third best, even in that own division. They basically won that division because they owned the Houston Astros. Mm-hmm. Um, but no playoff win. Which, by this the way, year at all. On, on my Twitter timeline, the only people happier than Astros fans right now are Blue Jays fans. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, and they're pretty much battling neck and neck for that. Pretty much. The Astros consolation prize was pretty good for Astros fans. They seemed like they were pretty excited about that. But uh, what, you, what what's next for this Rangers franchise? Because, I mean, they still have, it seems like a pretty good formula, a pretty great winning culture as an organization. But Adrian Beltre is getting older. It feels like they still are in a pretty good place as an organization. Yeah, I don't think but, this uh, is teardown time or anything. But, right. it, but it, it does make it, it's, it does put a very bad taste on the, on the finish of the season. I don't think you really can change too much up after you have a season like they just had. Like, or yeah. they should change right. Too I mean, much I know the run differential wasn't that you know was not that great. As you said, you're right. What really came down to is is that when they played the Astros, which were their top competition in the division, and they just throttled them over and over and over. That was the difference in the division. They were plus eight for the year. Their Pythagorean record was eighty two and eighty, mm-hmm. and they won ninety five games. So, and I you know I don't. The, there is always the danger. You do not want to make too much out of essentially what is three games because you can pick out pretty much any team in the history of baseball and find a three-game stretch where right. they looked awful. And they the Rangers looked bad during this series, but uh, let's, you know, last night if they were that they were that close, I'm putting my fingers very close together. They're that close for it being 2-1 and certainly, you know, if it and, and they're still playing on. I again that last play you can't if you're the Rangers, understandably, you know, if you're a door, you, you try to turn that double play. Heads up base running by Donaldson and all that. At the same time, they're like, you don't really probably think that 
this is going to be the end of the game when you're right. you're thinking you're ending the inning and instead you end the game, but all that. But at the same time, this team in the playoffs does not look like a team. If you said, I mean, they first clearly they do not look like a better team than the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays right. survived. The Blue Jays survived a much tougher division overall than than the Rangers did. And if you just match this up. The, the Blue Jays are a team that feels like the playoffs home okay let me let me overarch it and ask it back to you we've seen a lot it does feel like last year the theme has been how the Royals man you know they keep the ball they put the ball yeah, in play yeah. they manufacture runs they don't strike out and all that and they won last year they went to the World Series two years ago this postseason right now feels like it is the one where we're now back in the game. The game has shifted back to where a 20 home run season's a pat you on the back. Okay, you're you're average almost kind of thing. It's crazy. That, yeah, I mean, not quite there. Yet. But not, but, yeah. but but it's not far off. And I'm, right. I'm exaggerating slightly. Right. But but what we've seen in the playoffs is is that it's been a very offenses have been very home run based. Right. And very much so. Is that just we're talking about 12 games, 10 games that we're talking about so far? Or is that just really like in the playoffs kind of where it's at? I, I, I don't know about how much we can take from the playoff trend yet over one weekend basically of games, uh, four days of games. I do think this is the, those are the teams that uh, bore out over the regular season. And I think that the difference is the Royals and what got their offense into the postseason, I don't think necessarily was their offense. It was their pitching staff and their defense, got good, and, and their defense were good enough. And so, the, to me, the Cubs actually—I know—they score on home runs. They don't just score on home runs. They have this varied offense that we've seen, and deep. an incredible defense. I do want to make sure we talk about them in this podcast. Um, I still think that in the end, the defining characteristic of the Royals was athleticism. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to still see that borne out. We just will see that more borne out in the defenses of these teams in the postseason. Than offensively, because I do think offensively, most of these teams rely on their on the home run. Um, one of those players who is in this Ranger series kind of defines this for me is Rugnet Odor, because I think he's fascinating to talk about. He's he a fascinating. fascinating player. He looks like he should be a good defensive player. I'm not sure he is a good defensive player. He looks like he puts up numbers to make him a good offensive player. I'm not sure he's a good offensive player. You, I think people tend to forget how young he is, 22, 23. Um, this is a guy who, to me, like you think of him as a star. I don't think he performs like a star. He's a not a good 33 home run hitter guy. He's kind of like a left-handed Dan Ugla in some ways, really. He never walks. He's mistake-prone defensively, um, which we saw at a very uh, un- inopportune moment. So I don't think the Rangers have massive changes to make getting back to that, and it goes into this question. I do think that they're somewhat athletic, and they need to get a little bit more athletic, honestly. Um, Mitch Moreland probably could have picked that. That's not a good throw. In that situation, But if Mitch he picks Moreland's, it cleanly, he, he has picks a chance it, to... Oh, it's a double play. Russ Martin was running. Yeah. That's why they tried to turn that double play. Mm-hmm. Russell Martin was slow to first base. Um, so that pick... Not being able to pick that throw and that throw was the difference between them still living to find another inning and being done. So that one play was magnified. I think Rubenado Dewar hit a laser to center field for a home run with a really easy swing. And off the bat, I thought that's a line drive right to Pilar, and it carries out 400-plus feet. Um, but he kind of embodies to me their team. There's a lot of refinement to go on with a lot of those uh, Texas Rangers. I'll be curious to see 
what they do this offseason. They still have Hamels and Darvish, a couple of nice building blocks. I think Martin Perez has kind of established himself as a back of the rotation at best guy. He doesn't get any strikeouts. But, but, but their bullpen has room to Dyson, get better. You know, have, 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 Bush, Bush joining Dyson gives them now the kind right. of 2016 modern bullpen. But they were 13th in the American League in ERA. You know, like, is it finally time for them to move on from Colby Lewis and Derek Holland? Yeah, it probably is. What's next? You know, where is the – is there a homegrown help? I think they're going to have to go outside the organization probably to, for, for next year well, I mean, for some thing, key pieces in the rotation. you got to remember, the thing that does hurt for that is they did – They spent a lot of their prospect capital Brinson, on Jonathan Lucroy. Ortiz, I mean – you know, Dylan Tate is not in that same category, but Dylan Tate. I mean, they. If you said coming into the year who their best pitching prospects, Dylan Tate, a little right. bit took a little hit this year, but Luis Ortiz and Dylan Tate were their top two pitching prospects Correct. coming into the year, and they traded both of them away. So that does take that. That's a hit. They do have Ariel Hurado. They do have some guys, but they're more back end guys. Probably. Who's the left hander had the big year this year? Finished the year in the bullpen for them. Uh, gosh, I should know this off the top of my head because we're Baseball America and that's what we do. Um, Johander Mendez. Yeah. Those are the two kind of closest to the big league's potential starters in that organization. But those are more back-end guys. Those are more... I think so. I mean, like, if you Hirado's say where they really are now, I know Martin Perez has gotten hurt. But Hirado's, if you said where Martin Perez yeah. was when he was climbing... Right. It was, I can't was, say that... He was regarded better. Right. Ariel Gerardo... Goes back to your story you wrote you know, last week on Zach Britton about how the extreme ground ball guys are getting more extreme, and he might wind up being one of those guys. So he's he's kind of fascinating for the Blue Jays. The thing that the, the difference with these two teams that goes back to your starting pitching too, JJ, is the Rangers are this very top heavy, uh, I think traditional playoff pitching staff. I would not want to face Hamels and Darvish back to back in a playoff series. Tip your cap to the Blue Jays that they did face those guys on the road and beat them and both. And especially in, in Hamill's case, like you, one of the things if you're the Rangers as you go into your offseason that you do have to shrug your shoulders is, is that you had Cole Hamill's on the mound and in the tone setting game and he got housed. He and did. When and that the, happens. And the defense certainly didn't help. Right. Both but, Beltre with that one misplay, but also Ian Desmond. But when that happens, you do somewhat have to shrug your shoulders right. and say, we put everything in the situation we wanted. It worked it last year. And it didn't work for us. Right, it didn't work and this so year. And so you go, again, the same way. If the Dodgers have Clayton Kershaw on the mound, he's, if this goes five, and Clayton Kershaw's in the mound in game five, and Clayton Kershaw loses game five, which obviously this is a long ways away, a lot of hypotheticals here. That happens, and you're the Dodgers. There's nothing that you, on far as that go, well, we got to do something differently. Because it's like, we had Clayton Kershaw on the mound for game five. Yep, that's exactly. what we have to do. That's what you want. That's, yeah. that's what you want. Uh, let's go back to the defense tangent we were off on earlier because it goes with the negatives for the Rangers, J.J., the Cubs. And Javier Baez is an easy guy to talk about in the Baseball America universe. Uh, that 2011 draft, uh, one of the all-time Oscar games, as some scouts call them, where everybody, all the big names show up. It's like every, it's like a red carpet for national evaluators. I think one of the all-time Oscar games, at least in the last 10 years, was Monteverde Academy versus, uh, I forget what, the other... Uh, uh, it's Arlington Country Day. Mm-hmm. When those two non-traditional schools slash diploma mills matched up in spring of 2011, and it was Lindor versus Baez. That's one of the all-time games. They both get drafted in the top 11 picks. I guess Baez went out higher. Certainly Lindor, to this point, has been the better big leaguer. But Javier Baez flashed over the weekend. We got to see the tools of why he was as highly, if not more highly, regarded at the time. 
What strikes me as fascinating this year, and I do think it gets lost a little bit because we're in the playoffs, it's understandable and all, but the improvement that Javier Baez has made from where he was just a year and a half, two years ago yeah. to here. Because, do remember, he was not that long ago striking out and swinging at everything at a rate where you said, is this going to be career debilitating? Right. And Is this guy going to be... I mean, he just seemed like he'd fit so many molds we've seen over the history of the BA Top 100 back to, like, Andujar Cedeno was like, yeah, great tools, but too much swing and miss. Is and it going to be a, a, a impact player? The other part of that is, is to remember is just Ruben a useful Ramirez. thing to remember is when you look at minor league errors, generally, yep. don't worry about them. Like, that may be, that gives you sometimes a sign of something that they have to work on. But if you go through Javier Baez's minor league error numbers, you and you and you focused on those, you would think that this guy has so far to go. I know you don't mean me specifically, but how about last year, 17 errors in 40 games at shortstop at Iowa? 17 errors in 49? I believe he had 47 the year before that. Like, I mean, it was something... Well, in 2013, he made 44. 44, that's Between what Between Daytona and Tennessee. And that yeah. was, you know, uh, playing shortstop almost exclusively... I don't know what he would do as an everyday shortstop in the big leagues because he certainly does have – he plays with so much energy, although he is more controlled now. But when I've seen him this year, it's been at second base and third base. And if he stayed at one of those two spots and played 150 games, he'd be a gold glover at either of those spots, mm-hmm. J.J. He, he makes second base he look breaks, so easy. But he, the funny thing about it is, is and this is their, they deploy him wisely, he breaks the gold glove voting. Because <laughs> he kind of does. If he keeps doing this, and I don't know why if I'm the Cubs, why would you focus him on one? Because one of the things that they do is they kind of say, where's the ball going to be hit tonight? Yeah. Oh, it's going to be hit there? Let's put him there. Well, if you do that with a guy and he plays multiple positions on a regular basis, again, it's, it's just voting for a postseason award, but the Gold Glove's not really equipped right. to handle... Well, he's a third baseman half the time. He's a second baseman. The idea has always been that a utility guy like that couldn't be a great defender at both. You know, that's why he's moving around. No, with the Cubs, it is. They're, they're, I guess the question I would ask it this way is, is, where are they weak defensively? Oh, I don't know that I would say they are uh, at any spot. They're above average everywhere. Maybe left field, they're not... Above average, uh, when when you have Zobrist, maybe Coglin's out there sometimes. But I would say but you're right. You're at least average everywhere. Right. But when Schwarber got hurt, they went to because he was playing left field some before. Right. Schwarber, you probably say, okay, that's a forty defender and left it at best. Yeah, well, at best. Once you once you take that out, they're probably this is the anti Mets. At this time last year, we we're talking about the Mets had an infield last year where you literally could go around the infield and say. Not a 50, not a 50, right. not a 50, not a 50. Right. The Cubs have a lineup where most nights during the playoffs you can go and say at least a 50, at least a 50, at least a 50, at least a 50. Most nights you're putting a 6 on everybody there. I mean, like Rizzo's a good first base. Rizzo's at least, I would say, a I mean, 6. I think Bryant's a 6. I think Addison Russell, you could put a, a strong 7 on that guy at shortstop with like an 8 arm. I mean, he's just a – I know I'm throwing around so, high grades, but God, Addison Russell – is how I think a shortstop should play shortstop. Zobrist, okay, second, you can maybe say at this point in his career. And he's 36. Right, you know, at this point in his career. You would have said better earlier, but okay, maybe he's a five. Playoff aside, by, play by the way, in that, in that series, Ben Zobrist and Hunter Pence 
Both members of the 2000, same 2004 Houston Astros draft class. Pence was their first pick, supplemental first rounder. Zobris was a six rounder. Same draft class, both Houston Astros. Both uh, were traded pretty quickly. Uh, Pence at least got to the big leagues with the Astros. Zobris, remember, traded for Aubrey Huff. And also, by the way, the Astros at at that time, in the fall of 2004, fired that scouting department and changed scouting directors. And the next two years, next three years, three just brutal drafts. So nothing personal. I guess the guys who replaced that group, um, I believe that was David Lakey, who was the scouting director. Um, If it wasn't David, it was Gordon. I get my Lakey brothers mixed up. I apologize to the Lakey brothers. But that 2004 Astros draft was a pretty good way to wrap up that Astros from 97 to 04. Uh, they didn't draft great at the top of drafts, but they had some pretty deep drafts. In 97, they drafted with, I started off with Lance Berkman. I'll so that group I'll give did credit on well. that, though, also, because they're, they're scouting two there, two unconventional guys who turned into be Yes. Hunter, Hunter Pence defines, obviously, unconventional. Like, yes. I mean, it's in every way, you know. And then Ben Zobrist, to see the value of Ben Zobrist, it's something that that it's it's more well rounded than uh, uh, having a, a, a an exceptional tool or two. Ben Zobris, who was a star and a staple of summer college league top tens mm-hmm. in oh one oh two oh three. I'm pretty sure he made it three years in a row when he was in college. He was at different colleges, but Northwoods League, Great Lakes League. I know I wrote him up in like paragraph form, like the way we used to do it. Um, he was a dude coming into that year. But no one thought Ben Zobris would be this guy that he's become, which is a championship caliber stalwart at basically any position. I mean, he's so, just really good. To, to kind of try to wrap this up so we'll get this up, yeah. hopefully, before the game start again today. Yeah. I would love to talk more about Baez if you wanted to talk about I, him. I, but the, the thing I was going to ask you is, this, so we do have in the AL, we have one half is done. Yep. We know, that the, we know who's going to be one of the teams that's going to be in it. Yes, Toronto is going to be there. Toronto's there. Who do you think... A, who do you think's going to... I mean, right now it's kind of easy to say that the Indians are going to be the team to face them. They're, yeah. they're up 2-0. But who do you think's going to get there? And who do you think is... Would the, would, the, would the Blue Jays rather face? I think they'd rather face Cleveland. I still think the Red Sox do have a shot there. Uh, I have to imagine it's going to be pretty emotional. Boston, Big Poppy, could be his last game. Those kind of things. Uh, Boston's can they, can they offense Dave is still Roberts quite to good. Swing over from the uh, <laughs> yeah. from the Dodgers uh, that series, you know, and stop by and, and find, steal the I, I find the Red Sox pitching is pretty is perilous. I can see the Red Sox being tied or having a lead late today, and Craig Kimbrell blowing it. You know, I can see that being the way the Red Sox season ends. Um, but the uh, I think they'd rather if you're Toronto, you'd really rather face Cleveland because outside of Corey Kluber, I think the rest of their rotation is gettable, and after you get Cole Hamels and you get you Darvish, I don't think that you feel like any offense can hold, any pitching staff can hold you down. So the, the Blue Jays had a better season last year. Like they were better in some ways last year. This might be their year. I, and they, this, might, this might be their year. They certainly, I would want to face that offense. They're a pretty good defensive team, not a great defensive team, but a pretty good defensive team. Um, and right now, I know that the Rangers did nick and get, get to them some yesterday, but I, I like their pitching staff. I like the variety in their pitching staff. I like that you have extreme ground ball guy with Stroman. You have extreme power guy with Sanchez. You have changeup guy with Estrada. You have lefty angle guy with Jay Happ. 
I like the way their pitching sets up. It's not there's not a pure ace out of any of those guys. Maybe one day Aaron Sanchez right. will be that ace because to be an ace you have to get to 200 innings and not like flip out. You know, to me an ace is Justin Verlander. That's that's an ace where every time I go, you, you, well, you know what to expect every start every season. Well, basically, again, is what what he is. really one of the things we're saying with ace now is 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 the guy that you actually. <laughs> one of the things is is come playoff time now you expect to get seven to eight out of the guy. Yeah. There are very few guys now. I mean, or again, even, you expect to get six. You know? uh, but I'm saying, like, the ace is the one, th- that's one, to me, that is the the the, uh, the lineation, though, is, is that you actually at least will consider letting those guys go to the seventh and yeah. maybe even the eighth. Sanchez, Most of these guys you don't even consider. It's like, how San- crazy would you be to let this guy go to the seventh? That's right. Now, Sanchez is clearly ace stuff. He should be an ace in due time. But I, I that top, those guys are getting their playoff spots. Just starts, J.J., I think all four of those guys are playoff starters on most any team. You know, Strahd has been really good the last two postseasons. So I, I like how that sets up for them. Uh, I would love to feel a little more comfortable about their bullpen if I were them. And if they had another starting pitcher, like if they felt like maybe they wanted to start Francisco Liriano. I know he just got hit in the back of the head this right. week. He's technically... I think he's at least got a few more days before he's even allowed to because of the concussion protocol. But if you, but if you, if if you went to the next series, they decided to because of left-handers, whatever, and you way. wanted to start Liriano, and then you wanted to make Aaron Sanchez your Andrew Miller, your I'm going to deploy him for an inning or two here. That would be pretty interesting. That would be creative, and I like the Blue Jays in the American League. Period. No matter whether they face Cleveland or Boston, I no like way. the way things set up for them. An interesting decision that they will face is: is it does seem like Liriano is recovering nicely, but. If the tough thing about how roster rules go, I mean, you they're going to face potentially a difficult decision there. It's like, okay, Liriano, they said when it happened, they're going to watch him for like the next seven days with this. And unfortunately, with concussions, there it is something where it's, it would, it would certainly it's not help a them. linear progression always. It would certainly help them if the Astros, I mean, if the uh, Red Sox Indian series went a little longer, you know, mm-hmm. as long as it could. And, uh, they had a little bit more. Uh, they, they. Uh, I think. I guess the other series starts whenever yeah, it starts, starts anyway. But, starts, but, so but they would. They would certainly like to know. Uh, I think they would like to see those teams wear each other out, and uh, you know, see how those matchups go, lefty versus righty. But uh, like you said, the concussion protocols really hard to know when this guy's going to come back. I mean, we're just lucky that. I mean, he got hit by. Yeah, it was frightening. He just got hit in the back of the head by a ball that was hit very, very hard. I, I don't remember what the and exit velocity just, I mean, was, but. And, Amazingly, like I mean, the ball carried into like the outfield. It did. It went into the outfield, and it's like, you know, like that's one of those stay down, stay down. Instead, no, he just kind of wanders around, and I mean, it yeah. was impressive. It was, but it was impressive that he uh, I noticed. Though I'm not saying the guy they traded Noah Syndergaard for is not going to be in that rotation. By the way, Ari Dickey looks good in a in a Blue Jays toboggan. That's about it. I, I'm sorry, Tuke in the Canadian but, parlance. But that that does also that the, the Liriano trade is still the one of if you've talked about the trades that happened at the deadline that made no sense to me, the Francisco Liriano trade is the one made perfect sense for the Blue Jays. It made no sense for the Pirates at all. Said it at the time. Still say it. So that was wait, a weird one. So you'll give us Liriano, who will try to fix, and you'll give us two other prospects. Yeah. Two prospects. I'm going to do that. Okay. Uh, that, the the uh, Blue Jays flex their financial muscle, which we didn't used to hear about. Uh, Cubs and Giants game three, one of the best game three matchups <laughs> I can remember. When it's Arietta Bumgarner, that's that's pretty good. Uh, Nationals and Dodgers is uh, the, the matchup of left-handers Gonzalez and uh, Gio Gonzalez, Julio Urias. Uh, I expect neither starter to go more than four innings in that game. Is Urias, no, Urias is next game, isn't he? That's today. That's game three. No, game, he's game four. 
Who's game three? Uh, not Urias. <laughs> well, I, I don't know who's starting for the Dodgers today, obviously. But uh, I don't expect either of those starters in any of those series. I mean, Rich Hill has been so good for the Dodgers. and Man, he, had, he missed two what? pitches, three pitches, basically, and the, and the Nationals were on the tightrope all day. How many guys did the Dodgers leave on base? Like, double-digit left on base in the first well, six innings. Well, how about, like, the the talking about team being positioned nicely, the Cubs right now, right? if you lose to Bumgarner in Game 3, it's not good. It's Kenta Maeda for the Dodgers. I should have known that. But it's not good. But it is something where you say, okay, we lost to Madison Bumgarner. Let's win one of the next two. Yeah, that's an easier loss to take in the postseason than I think most would be. But I I, I don't even know what to expect out of Bum, Bumgarner anymore. I mean, it seems like it's too much. It's too much to expect another complete game. But I expect greatness. I mean, that's really what you're at this point is what you're doing. The the thing is, like, do you expect the home run now too? I mean, like, did you start throwing that in? Because I love the tweets from Wrigley Field over the weekend of there was some massive right-handed hitter dropping bombs during BP at Wrigley into the wind. Then I realized it was Madison Bumgarner, and there were multiple writers tweeting about that and. I mean, it feels like he might have to be the one to, to get their offense going, too. And meanwhile, Jeff Samarja, TFCO. Johnny Cueto was awesome. That first game was a great, great playoff game. Um, Jeff Samarja. I love the actual pregame analysis, I believe it was on MLB Network, of J.J. how he's changed his delivery just in the last two years. And this is a guy who, I think it was Dan Plesak was talking about how he's been a pro for almost a decade now, and he's still trying to figure it out. Like, who is he? Who is Jeff Samarja? And um, you know, I thought that he, was, I thought that him and the Giants were a good mix. Where they would cut, Dave Rigetti's got a pretty good history with guys like that, but he was pretty bad. By, by the way, Cueto is a good example though of how narrative for players based on postseason can change so dramatically, very so rapidly. Quickly because it wasn't that long ago that it was like, can Johnny Cueto hold up? Yeah. He fell off the mound when the Pirates fans were booing him, which was three teams ago. Now, right, you know? right. But or you know, but. Now you look at him and say, based off of what he did last year, based off what he did, you know, now this year, you're like, no, this guy is a. I mean, again, I wouldn't go ace on him, but he is a true front of the rotation starter. That's what he's been for essentially now six years, yeah. five years. Johnny Cueto, definitely the best Dominican starter in the big leagues by a uh, decent sized margin when you count count the length of track record and uh, how he keeps doing it and. He's had some injury issues and keeps on changing, and he he's about as fun to watch as any of these guys. But he's Eric, a guy who who he's a guy who is continually toying with timing of right. the hitters. All that's fun to watch. Lester versus Cueto was great. Still think Arietta Bumgarner's probably going to be better. So let's look forward to watching that gotta, exactly. So listen to this podcast and watch that game. And we'll be back to break it down tomorrow at baseballamerica.com. For JJ, I'm John. See you tomorrow. Thanks, everybody. This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit BaseballAmerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage.